This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bhandari from OrthoEvidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, Mo. Good morning. You got your uh, cup of joe here? Always, always. I don't have the red cap though. I just go, I just do it the old school way. I just let stuff, you know, kind of spill all over me, but you have that spill cap. I like that. Yeah. You know, and it, and it, Holds the heat if you're uh, at a long Zoom call or something like that. You got the little button. Uh, and of course, our guests will be getting one of these absolutely priceless Ortho Joe mugs for participating in this scholarly uh, and high-level strategic conversation that we're having. But I do want to ask you, do you notice what I'm wearing, i.e. not a tie? Not a tie. And it looks like there might even be like a zipper or something on the front. No, no, no. Can you see the... Oh, oh, JBJS swag. I see it. I see yeah, it. Yes. Yeah. Very so nice. I just want to point out to you and the, anybody who's listening that we now have uh, swag available on the jbjs.org website. And it comes in all different colors, men's and women's fashions. There's shirts and hoodies and all kinds of stuff. So if you go to the website and you go all the way over to the right on the upper bar about JBJS and then just pull down. It's JBJS Wear, W-E-A-R, and you can buy all your gear that says JBJS. But I thought you would have noticed that I didn't have a tie on after we've been discussing, you know, professional dress for, I don't know, the better part of a year. You see, I mean, I, I just feel what's happening is I'm going to start wearing ties and you're going to start wearing T-shirts. And this whole thing is going to go bizarro world. That's well, what's please, going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Please, please, please give me warning. I'll make sure I have some nitroglycerin available because <laughs> it will provoke an ischemic attack. But OK, it's yeah. noted, noted. Yeah, good. So, yeah, I've got my cup of joe. So why don't you introduce our uh, sure. our guest? Sure. Today we're going to be chatting about, you know, there are a few there are a few trials I think at least that I can recall that have really set a new standard, especially a new standard in an area of inquiry or a field. And uh, Michelle Gert, who's professor of surgery at McMaster University and also the current president of the MSTS, the Musculoskeletal Tumor Society, is gonna chat with us about just one of those trials, the parity trial. But more importantly, I think we'll probably chat with her more about sort of the legacy of that work and ultimately sort of the Sort of the fruits of all of that many many years of teamwork and collaboration i think we're starting to see a lot of that happen uh, i suspect you have some news as well mark about a supplement that's coming out i, I and we, we can chat about that but welcome michelle and uh, thank you again for spending a bit of time with us today thank you mark and mo i'm very happy to have a cup of joe with you this morning <laughs> so how about maybe i'll lead off i suspect it's known to many but uh, just in case there's a few folks michelle who haven't really aren't aware of the of the parity trial. Can you speak a little bit to that? And then maybe we can speak a little bit to what what the collaboration with the Journal of Bone Joint Surgery is. 
Right, so the parity trial was published last year, and it was a randomized controlled trial of patients undergoing endoprosthetic reconstruction of the femur tibia for oncologic indication. So it was an orthopedic oncology study, and our primary outcome was surgical site infection. We were looking at the length of intravenous prophylactic antibiotics post postoperatively one day, which is standard for total joints, or prolonging for five days. And because the surgical site infection rate is about 10 or 15%. We needed about 600 patients to find a statistical difference. So that was our sample size calculation. And oncologic indications are relatively rare for these types of surgeries. So we required a lot of centers to work together to be able to enroll 600 patients. So we broadened our site group to be international. We had sites from 12 countries. And we had almost 50 sites enroll at least one patient. So it was a huge international collaboration. And it was published last year. And we found that there was no difference in surgical site infections if you prolong the antibiotics, but there was a significantly higher risk for antibiotic-related complications. Superb. And maybe, Mark, I'll, I'll let you lead into the next question here. Yeah, right. Well, so, and Michelle, your group is working with the journal to publish a supplement with all the secondary and analytic questions uh, and my first question before we get into that uh, is, you know, equipoise in surgeons is is a hard thing uh, because we have to decide what to do for a patient based on less than perfect literature. And we all have opinions about how to interpret a somewhat insufficient literature. And it must have been a real difficult thing to enlist all of these leading surgeons uh, from around the world to uh, participate in this. Can you just talk about how you approach that? It, it must've been a ton of work. Yes, it's, it's a really great question. And it really goes back to a day about 13 years ago when Mo and I were sitting outside on McMaster campus, sunshine coming down. And I said to him, you know, I've been running a research lab, but I really think given I'm at McMaster and you're my mentor that I should begin randomized trials in orthopedic oncology because we'd never done them before. And Mo just said, you got a question? You got a good research question. And I said, yeah, you know, we've been talking about intravenous antibiotics postoperatively. That's something that resonates with a lot of my colleagues. It was sort of a willy nilly. It wasn't a very scientific approach to finding a research question, which I've since then learned would, would, would have been a good idea, but we sort of, we got relatively lucky with this question because it really did resonate. So Mo said, go for it. I'm, gonna, I'm going to mentor you. And I do believe that being at McMaster and with Mo's reputation of running large randomized controlled trials successfully in the orthopedic trauma field, that my colleagues realized that I had the backup, I had the resources, I had the mentorship to run a randomized trial. So it did require first the few sites that said, you know, okay, Michelle, we'll do this with you, sure. And I remember also talking to the group at Vanderbilt and Toronto. Those were the first two groups that I talked to. And they started to work with us. And once we started announcing the trial at meetings and seeing that we were enrolling patients, the momentum began. And at some point, I think that those wanted that weren't involved felt like they were getting a fear of missing out, FOMO. So, it, but it was those first few that joined me that that had the faith and took a leap of faith that it would work really started the process going. And again, I have to, you know, I, I know it was the fact that I was at McMaster and Mo is my mentor. That really was the catalyst for the beginning of this trial. Right? So 
So, Mark, if I could jump in and just tell a, a slightly different story that goes back 10 years prior to even um, like Michelle and I having this discussion. So I had walked into a room as a second year master's student to uh, uh, back then, I, you know, I didn't know him very well, but I know him pretty well now. And you all do Professor Gordon Guyatt. And Gordon Guyatt had said, you want to do a study? And he says, well, pick something big. I said, OK, sure. So I'm just and I said, OK, well, maybe we'll pick tibia fractures. Go, OK, well, who who's the person? in orthopedics, you know, um, that, you know, could really help you. I said, well, I don't know this person, but this person's written a lot. And I said, his name is Professor Mark Swinkowski. He goes, well, <laughs> get him on the phone. I said, well, he's not going to listen to me. And he goes, no, we'll do it together. And it was that sort of strain of thought that always, it just reminds me of the way Michelle's recounting the story, which was nothing ever happens alone. And, you know, just as Michelle, you know, was very kindly talking about our our uh, collaboration. I always think fondly that nothing that we would have been able to do at McMaster wouldn't have happened for the collaborations that had happened earlier on, yourself included, Mark, as well as Gordon Guide and a number of other people. But I do think a lot of that has to do with the big capital C, which is collaborating and understanding that these big trials can't be done alone. Anyways, I just thought yeah. I'd that in there because it reminded me of that little story. No, it's a great sport. It's a sport that requires a team, right? You know, there's no I in team and all that stuff, you know, and I think we who have participated in these sorts of efforts really do understand that it feels pretty good to have accomplished something together and it not be about you, you know, as an individual. And it, it, uh, it really is something that's, it's quite satisfying. But I think what you're talking about is there, there's a bit of a herd mentality then that, that happens. And, the word gets around very informally that, you know, maybe these people do have a question that we haven't ever done a trial before, but maybe we'll learn something. And these other people who have a big name center in sarcoma, they're doing it. So why don't we try it? So, and then the thing that we have found in trauma is that when you do the next trial, uh, it gets easier, right? And you continue to build a network based on a common experience and feeling very good about it. But Let's get into the, the issue of secondary analyses. So I think there are 13 manuscripts that are all secondary analyses of, of these data. If you would, please talk about how your leadership group, your steering committee, developed this list of steering questions to address with the primary data collection. How'd, how'd you go about form, formulating that list? Right. So. As you know, the trial only answer is one question. So right. you have a massive data set, highly curated, prospectively collected, many levels of data validation, 600 oncologic patients in orthopedics. This is a gold mine of information. So just closing the database with the primary analysis wouldn't make any sense. It, right. it actually, the study probably has more value going forward with the secondary analyses, even though these are all questions they are hypothesis driving. We can't prove any hypotheses, but they have a lot of information from which to build further research. So what we did was we asked all of our collaborators, and there were a lot of them, if they have any research questions. They knew what data they collected because they were involved in, in collecting the data. We asked them, do you have any research questions that you'd like to answer? And we had a proposal format, and we asked them to submit a completed proposal. It's only a few pages, and we had lots of examples and tables to show them how it works. And I would briefly go through it, make sure it made sense. And also my team would look through it, make sure that we would have the enough data. And then we would have a contract with each site and then we would send them the data. And so the questions that came up, there were about maybe 20 
And in the end, 13 ended up being full manuscripts. There are others that either we didn't have enough data or that it made sense that it would not be in the supplement, that it would be made, maybe not orthopedic enough, too much of a cancer question that would go to a cancer journal. So that's how it worked. And we really just left it open to all of our colleagues that this database is yours and we want to give you the data so that you can answer your own questions. And it really was really fascinating to see what came out of it. I, I went through all the papers. I, I act as editor for this for the supplement. So mm-hmm. I was responsible for reading all of them, making sure they were all sound and well-written. And you know they are all very well-written and just fascinating information that came out of these papers that I am so glad that, that we are taking this secondary analysis step. It should be it should be published and uh, and available. I would say within the next two months. I think yeah. it's just uh, towards the end. So for those listening that are in this field, uh, be on the lookout for it. Uh, it'll, it'll be announced uh, via our all of our communication efforts. But go ahead, Mo. Sorry for interrupting. No, no, not at all. I, I was just going to say that you know um, the the challenge always and that always gets me nervous. And I'm curious if you had this feeling, Michelle, is you know when you've got multiple papers, always saying, "I hope this somehow somewhere." We don't somehow contradict what the main paper said, or <laughs> how did you how did you make sure that if someone read the whole book that is yeah. Yeah, that is yeah, going to tell yeah. the story, so to speak? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because right. we right. sometimes lose, you know, like everything just goes wild, it becomes the wild wild west sometimes when it comes to papers. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, interesting. Most of none of some of the papers wanted to know what the risk factors were infection for, so there would be some uh, regression analysis that doesn't really contradict the outcome. What did come up was we have one paper that assessed the central adjudication, meaning the central adjudication committee said this was an infection. And we compared that to the surgeons and we did, it wasn't always agreed. So the surgeons may have thought there was an infection. They send in all the de-identified information on global adjudicator. The committee went through each case and came to a consensus. And there were instances where the surgeons and the central adjudication committees decisions were not the same. And so someone did ask me when, when we were presenting this with our residents, well, did you look at that and see if, you know, if the antibiotic length, I mean, the primary research question was different based on the, what the surgeon said instead of the CAC. And I said, you know, I'm not opening that, that can of worms <laughs> because the reason why we have a CAC because it, it is because it's more methodologically rigorous. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I don't want to look into that, but that, you know, that was a little bit something that made me think, well, you could look at that. Mm. And, and then what do you do if the results are different when you've designed a trial to be a certain way, and then you look at it retrospectively differently. I don't think that would be the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely agree. And it's really, it's the, it's the clash between the art and the science of medicine, right? I yeah. mean, you know, it's not pure science, what we do on a day-to-day basis. And and we all have opinions because we're confident enough to cut humans and we our opinions are pretty st- strongly held. So I've got to uh, just make the point uh, on the secondary analyses is that you have a very um, methodologically sound, rigorous way of going about this. You don't go looking at a data set, fishing around for so- statistical associations to establish research questions. The research questions are established before that step ever takes place. And this is something that is uh, really a sound practice that we we must never get into data fishing expeditions. And I, I know that your group 
did it the right way. So I just want to make that point for the audience. But I do have a question. You've got this great successful trial now, and I'm quite confident you have thought about what's next mm-hmm. using this established network. So are yeah. you at liberty to let our audience know what your oncology community is working on? Absolutely. So our next trial is a surveillance sur- surgery after surgery trial. So it's called the safety trial surveillance after extremity tumor surgery. And it's for soft tissue sarcoma patients. They're post-surgical and we're assessing whether intensity of surveillance really makes a difference because we don't really have any great options for metastatic disease in soft tissue sarcoma, but we aggressively follow our patients. So the question is, can we follow them less and they still have the same outcomes, quality of life, survival, metastasis-free survival? It's a much more complex question mm-hmm. than, than parity. We have enrolled 224 patients across 31 sites. Again, probably somewhere between 10 and 11 countries. It's a huge effort. The UK just received funding for running the study in the UK and we've completed our pilot. So, but we're in the phase where we need to get funding for the definitive study, which is the next phase. So we've had a very successful pilot. At the same time, we're also looking into a very important question in metastatic bone disease. And as you know, patients with cancer are living much longer with many types of cancers, carcinomas in particular. And so metastatic bone disease is becoming more and more common. There are more and more people surviving with it. And in the proximal femur in particular, because of the high forces and with weight bearing or even without weight bearing, the risk for fracture is very high. So we are starting to feel that with some patients, it may be the right thing to do, to do actual real oncologic surgery, resection and reconstruction, as opposed to nailing and, or internal fixation, because you are leaving disease behind and these patients are living many years with their disease. So we're working on our new research question for those patients. We actually have our meeting, first meeting tomorrow evening to hash out the beginning of that research question. And I do believe that that question is gonna resonate more than any in our field in orthopedic oncology and even in orthopedics in general, because you know, when do you need to be more aggressive with a patient with metastatic bone disease? So this is going to be actually quite fascinating. So we have we have a soft tissue sarcoma trial on the go, and we are going we're embarking on a metastatic bone disease trial as well. That's fantastic, Mo. You got one last question? Yeah, I, and it's a doozy. So just get ready. For <laughs> oh, no, no. Michelle, <laughs> just joking. Um, so you know we're all still young, right? And but we always <laughs> they take a moment to look back and say, okay, here's what we've accomplished and. In your mind, when you think about the future, what's left for you? Like, you know, do you have a sense of what you'd like to be doing? And it's totally fine to say you'd like to be on an island somewhere <laughs> with tequila or whatever, coconut drink or whatever it is. It's all good. Uh, I'm just yes. curious your, what your plans are. I want to be on that island drinking a coconut drink, watching <laughs> the next generation do what I'm doing. That, that's what I want to see. And I see progress in, in, in the musculoskeletal tumor society. We now have a registry with the AOS. The younger generation is seeing the leadership be involved in these collaborative efforts and it being just a matter of course, part of our culture, which is very different from the culture that I grew up in, in orthopedic oncology. So I just, I want, I want to be sitting on that beach for sure. And maybe on my own yacht, you know, one of those things that, you know, that sounds amazing and it has water and wind and sea and, and just watching the next generation doing what I'm doing and being in a matter of course. And I'll ask one quick addendum to that because you brought up the issue of mentorship, which I think is a really important issue and it's clearly near and dear to your heart. 
do you feel the work you've done to date has helped at least mentor a new generation of surgical oncologists? I, I do think so. I think that the knowledge of how to run these trials is still in its infancy in orthopedic oncology, but they're seeing that it can be done. And, and as soon as you have that, that icebreaker, that it's something that can be done, then all you need is the collaboration and the teamwork to do it. As far as leading teams, we're definitely moving in that direction. And I, I do believe that particularly the next generation that we've trained at McMaster, that there are some young residents that are gonna know how to do these trials and that have the energy and the interest. And that's very, very exciting. Well, that's lovely, thanks. Yeah. Well, Michelle, I, I just want to uh, congratulate you on your leadership uh, with with Perry and these other trials, and I and I I do know it's going to impact the progress of the field for hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of patients in the future. And of all the subspecialties in orthopedics, I think that your field has got the most difficulty with equipoise. You know, we were able to organize these trials in trauma, and our sports colleagues have had some success as well. And and I'm hopeful that the other fields who are lagging behind a bit will be able to identify leaders such as yourself that are willing to, to, to take these, these difficult things on and, and put in the five to seven to 10 years to, to make progress. Because in the end, it's what really is going to impact patient outcome is this level of science. So we commend you and uh, look for this absolutely priceless Ortho Joe mug to arrive in the mail. So you don't have to drink out of the Starbucks cup you're drinking. Uh, oh, oh, I didn't know you saw that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so cheers. And thanks very much cheers. for spending the time with us today. Thank thanks you so much, show. guys. Thank you. Have a good day. Right, yeah. Take care. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. Yeah. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.